we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. The modern world is becoming very, very complicated, and one must therefore make one's own life extraordinarily simple. That simplicity demands a great deal of intelligence. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is simplicity. Upcoming themes are problems, entertainment and hope. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, an international boarding school offering a personalised, holistic education for around 70 students. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find daily Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app, which helps our visibility. This week's theme on simplicity has three sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's eighth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled Simplicity and Virtue in a Complex World. One must begin to inquire into the very complex process of living, our daily living, which is so confused, which is in conflict, which has innumerable sorrows, which is in contradiction, which is always striving. And that's our life, a series of inaction and actions as reaction. We only know that. We do not know any action apart from reaction. And it is this reaction that breeds sorrow. And from that sorrow there is further division as the outer and the inner, as something illusory and something real. There is only one world, not the outer and the inner. That world divided as the outer and the inner. And without understanding the totality of action of the religious mind, Do what you will, have every kind of revolution, economic, social, 
plan what you do will prosperity then becomes merely a means of destroying freedom and though we must have prosperity prosperity then becomes a means of psychological security and a mind that is psychologically secure is not a religious mind and so to enquire into the nature of the religious mind that state of mind which is free from this conflict of the self we must enquire into simplicity to find out what it is to be simple not the idea of simplicity not the ideal of simplicity not the symbol of simplicity but the actual state of a mind that is really simple <laughs> i mean by that word to face every fact of every day and every minute without any complexity to look at facts without the complex process of thought to look at facts without ideation without ideals and such simplicity not in mere clothes not the loin cloth and one meal a day and the long beard or clean shaven face but the simplicity that has no conflict simplicity that has precision when it is has to think that has no illusion that has no future the fact and only the fact and nothing else but the fact and such a mind such an approach to life does bring does bring about an extraordinary sense of joy because very few of us are happy naturally easily spontaneously we are so complex we have so many problems everything we touch either by the hand or by the mind becomes ugly and when something becomes ugly crude vulgar there is no sensitivity and therefore there is no appreciation of things as they are it is only in the understanding of things as they are actually facing things as they are out of that comprehension there is revolution the revolution is not brought about according to a pattern of someone else of the economist of the reformer of the politician 
But the revolution of which we are talking about comes into being when you can see the fact and act according to that fact from moment to moment. And in so acting you will find out of that simplicity there is an extraordinary sense of not only a relief, a sense of unburdening, but out of that there comes a deep joy. Because without joy, without the spark, without a song in one's heart, life becomes so utterly empty. You may be very clever, you may have big houses, you may occupy very important position, you may influence thousand people through newspapers, but behind that facade of words, position, prestige and power, there is a hollowness. And such a mind is not a creative mind. And it is important for the individual, for each one of us, to be, to have this sense of unending joy. It does come, not because you, are, you have got a job, not because you are happily married or unhappily married. It has no reason. And there is that joy. And you can only come to it darkly, unknowingly, when you understand the simplicity of virtue. Virtue is not something to be striven after. then it ceases to be virtue. When a man who is vain practices humility, then that humility is the essence of vanity. But virtue is order. just to have order in one's mind. And you cannot have order if it is merely patterned after the sanction of society, if it is merely a practice, a habit, then the mind is made dull. And a dull mind is not a virtuous mind. It may have excellent habits. It may never get angry. It may be self-righteous and comply to the commands of society. But such a mind is not a sensitive mind and therefore not a virtuous mind. Do please listen to this, not that you are suddenly going to become virtuous, you will suddenly, on the instant, be virtuous, which is not after the pattern of an ugly, corrupting society, but you will have order and space in that order. Because that order brings about efficiency. 
It is the efficient mind, efficient thought that has not conflict, that is a virtuous mind, that lives virtuously. Because virtue, which is the result of conflict, which is the result of constant striving, which is the battle of the opposites. Such a mind not only becomes insensitive, but is incapable of swift flight. And it is only the efficient mind that is capable of rapidity, that sees things in in a flash. For truth is perceived only in a flash. Truth has no continuity. What has continuity is of time. And what has time has no space. And it is only a mind that has space can see in a flash what is true. And it is only the virtuous mind that has space. And therefore, only such a mind that can see the immensity, that which is eternal in a flash. Because virtue is not the outcome of memory. If virtue is the outcome of memory, then virtue is a reaction to memory. Reaction is a reflex of memory. And such virtue as is recognized by society, by religious orders, by groups, such virtue does breed conflict. And therefore such a mind is not a simple mind. You know, the world is becoming more and more complex. Your relationship with another is getting more and more complex, not simpler. And the complexity of life can only be understood when you approach it very simply. Really, very, very simply. Life is not merely your daily existence, going to the office, the quarrels with your wife and with your husband, the nagging, the misery, the conflict of everyday existence. But life includes not only the past, which projects uh, as the future, but life also includes death. Life includes happiness. And life also includes something beyond beyond time, beyond thought, beyond feeling. And to comprehend this enormous totality of life, not your little corner of existence, not the little place of, on the earth which you call your country, 
nor the little temple built by hand which has no meaning but life is this extraordinary thing a total thing in which all this is included and without understanding the immensity of life in which everything every cry every tear every song of every bird the anguish the misery the travail of existence without understanding the totality of it you will never have a flash of that immensity and to understand this extraordinary thing called life with its sexual demands with its ambitious drives with its frustrations old age decline and deterioration to understand life you must come to it very simply and that's our difficulty because we are such complex human beings we have so many ideas we are so clever we are all second hand people there is nothing original in you there is nothing original and it is the originality that is makes for simplicity not eccentricity not the capacity to invent but the simplicity of a mind that has understood all the facets of life not the technical life not the life of accumulated knowledge because knowledge and technical knowledge can expand indefinitely you will know more and more about venus about mars about the moon how to get there but less and less about yourself what you are and what you are is the totality of life because you are miserable and happy all the anguish guilt and the agony that one goes through silently or openly and if you don't understand yourself and you can understand yourself who are a complex entity by approaching it very very simply to look at yourself and out of that perception out of that seeing out of that listening to yourself not to your higher self there is no higher self there is no atman but the invention of the mind they're all the result of thought and thought is the response of the mind of the things that have been and so when you look at yourself every day in, in every world feel your way into the depths of your own heart and mind then out of that looking seeing listening and hearing there comes simplicity and out of that simplicity there is joy and that is virtue the second extract is from the seventh talk in sanan 1965 titled 
simplicity comes with the understanding of sorrow. In an extraordinary changing world where one sees vast scientific changes taking place and economic pressures and impending wars, it seems to me that our own lives must undergo tremendous changes. Not merely outwardly, acquiring more cars, better houses, clothing and shelter. It is necessary to find out what one actually needs, apart from clothes, shelter and food. Because life is becoming very, very complicated. And one must make life, our own human life, extraordinarily simple. And that simplicity demands a great deal of intelligence. And so, one has to find out for oneself, as a human being living in this changing world where there are every kinds of pressure, anxiety, trouble, sorrow, one must find out, it seems to me, what one needs. What actually a human being living in this world has need? And each person will answer what he needs according to his particular temperament, economic position, social prestige, and so on. But to find out what one needs, you must have peace. It is not that one finds out what one needs first, but rather one must have peace. We always want peace outwardly in all our relationships. But I think peace begins somewhere else, but not outwardly. Because without peace nothing can flourish, nothing can blossom. And peace is not an escape from the world, from our everyday daily activity, but rather one has to find out, living in this world, what actually peace is. How far a human being living in a confusing, contradictory, suffering world, how deeply does he demand peace? Because the way of our life the way of our conduct, our daily activity, will naturally 
bring peace if we want peace. But I'm afraid many, very few of us want peace. And when we do want peace, we want security, we want comfort, a state of not being disturbed at all. Because we can't go on as we are with the, with the ways in which we think, the ways we act. We can't possibly go on as we are going. There's either going to be a terrific crash or human beings will waken to a different form of life, different way of living. And that's what I would like to talk about this morning. To, if we can find, as human beings, living in the actual world of everyday events and actualities, if we can find for ourselves, as human beings, totally related to all the world with other human beings, whether we can find a different way of living, a different way of thinking, acting. To find that out, one must inquire not only the actual state that we human beings are living in, the actual fact, not a theory, not a concept, but actually everyday movement. We not only have to be conscious of that, but also we have to end sorrow, because a mind in sorrow cannot think clearly, cannot see very clearly. And the ending of sorrow is the beginning of wisdom. And it is only in wisdom that a new thing is born. So one must inquire very deeply the ending of sorrow. Because if, our, if we can end sorrow, we have solved all our problems. Because for most of us, that is the one central demand, if we are at all awake to anything in life. How to end sorrow, so that a new beginning can be made? I think that is a fundamental question one has to ask oneself whether it is possible at all for human beings to end sorrow altogether. And not escaping from the world of reality, from the world of actuality, from the world of daily activities, and not escaping from sorrow through drugs, through religions, through belief, through concepts, through some kind of mystical structure of one's own mind that gives complete satisfaction, which again is an escape from actuality. So living in this world, living our daily life of, of relationship, whether it is possible 
actually, completely to end sorrow. Consciously we can rationalize sorrow, we can see the causes of sorrow, sorrow being grief, uncertainty, the feeling of complete loneliness, the sorrow of death, the sorrow of not being able to fulfil, the sorrow of not being recognised, the sorrow of not being loved, or loving, not receiving. There are innumerable ways of sorrow. And it seems to me that without understanding sorrow there is no end to this conflict, to the misery, to the everyday incessant travail of corruption, deterioration. So that is one of the fundamental questions, it seems to me, to ask oneself and to find an answer. There is the conscious sorrow and there is the unconscious, unknown sorrow, the sorrow that seems to have no cause, that appears for most of us as a sorrow which has no basis. We know conscious sorrow, we know how to deal with it. Either we run away from it, we rationalize it, or we take some kind of drug, intellectual drug or actual drug, drug ourselves with words, with amusements, with superficial, social, entertaining words. We know that, and yet we can't get away from it. Then there is the sorrow which man has inherited through centuries, because man has always sought to overcome this extraordinary thing called sorrow, grief, misery. You may be superficially happy, have everything you want, but deep down in the unconscious there are the roots of sorrow. So when we are talking about sorrow and the ending of sorrow, we, are, we mean not only the conscious but the unconscious ending of this thing called sorrow. To end sorrow one must have a very clear, very simple mind. Simplicity is not mere idea, you know, to be simple, demands a great deal of intelligence and sensitivity. We think to be simple is to return to nature. or have one or two clothes and few meals and a simple shelter. 
we want all the outward symptoms of simplicity. I do not know if you ever thought about this matter at all, what it is to be really, clearly simple. Now let us differentiate here what we mean by simplicity and what is generally understood as being simple. Nowadays there is more and more knowledge of facts, information and the computer-like acquiring knowledge. And with that knowledge we hope to arrive at greater understanding of life, greater expansion of life. But the more knowledge one has, life becomes less simple. Please. We are both of us, you and I, are learning. To learn one must listen. Listening is learning. There is not listening and then learning or listening and then act. Listening is action. If you and I know how to listen to the world events, to all that is taking place in the world, the philosophies, the dogmatisms, the rituals, the religions, the, the radio, information, the television, all the things that are taking place, if we know how to listen to all that, And that very and that very act of listening is doing. I think that is the art of listening. To listen to that train that went by to listen to that rushing water, to listen to your neighbour, to yourself, to, to listen to the radio, to see what is going on in the world, the misery, the confusion, the extraordinary conflict between man and man, to listen to all that. Not translate it, not translate what you listen, what you understand in terms of your own knowledge, information, your own petty little mind, but to actually listen totally, completely. Then perhaps that very learning is acting. And that is what we need, acting. And to act you must have great simplicity. Simplicity not derived from the complex knowledge, but simplicity which comes with great sensitivity, which comes with the understanding of sorrow. What is sorrow? Why do we suffer, not only physically, organically, but inwardly, psychologically, inside the skin? Why do we suffer? 
And what does this suffering mean? Apparently, very few have escaped from this suffering, escaped in the sense, <coughs> have brought suffering to an end. Very few human beings. Only probably throughout the history one or two have gone beyond this ache. And unless we human beings find out for ourselves how to end sorrow, all our lives will be dull, empty, confused, conflicting, everlastingly making effort to do or not to do. So, we must find out and learn what sorrow is. Not interpret what we call sorrow, not search the cause of it. We know the cause of sorrow. Someone dies and you feel terribly lonely, miserable, self-pity, and that brings sorrow. Or you have not been able to fulfil in this life, become known, important, famous, or you want to do things and you are not able to do it, incapacity, or we use time as a means of ending or gaining. And in that process of using time there is sorrow. So, mere search for the cause of sorrow, which we all know, does not end sorrow. I know why I suffer, and you know why you suffer. But the knowledge doesn't end sorrow. So what is one to do? Either one becomes cynical, bitter, hard, or one escapes from it, or one lives with it. And therefore the mind becomes more and more dull, insensitive. Knowing all this, what is one to do? You understand my question? And it's very important to answer this question. Because a mind that is worn out by sorrow, conscious or unconscious, is a dull mind, is an insensitive mind, is a mind that is incapable of learning. And life is a process of learning, not acquiring knowledge from which you act. Learning is acting, or in acting you are learning. But if you acquire knowledge and, or information or have a formula from which you act, then there is 
great conflict, and that conflict also is sorrow. So that is one of the major problems of life. And how is one to answer it intelligently, sanely, with complete fullness? To answer that question, not verbally but actually, and therefore end sorrow, one must have great peace inwardly. Please just listen. What do we mean by peace? Most of us want peace in terms of our own pleasure. Please uh, listen to what, I am, what we are saying, listen to it, neither agreeing nor disagreeing, as you would listen to that water rushing by. It has rained a great deal last night and that river is full, rich, full of silt, running. You can't alter it. It's there running, and you can only listen to it. And the more you listen, the more sensitive you become to all the noises, to the rumours, to the quietness, to the solitude, to the immensity of life. So in the same way, listen to and discover as we go along. You know, we all want peace. Peace in our relationship, in our work, in our surrounding, peace inwardly and outwardly. But for most of us peace means to be completely satisfied, to, be, to accept things as they are and remain. We don't want to be disturbed. But life is always disturbing us. There is the war going on in Vietnam, there is war in our hearts, the armies and the generals are preparing for war in every part of the world, though they talk of peace, the politicians talk of peace, and yet they are seeking power, position, national prestige. We want peace in terms of our own pleasure, and pleasure and peace cannot go together, because pleasure prevents the mind from seeing the act the factual, the what is. And so to understand peace, one has to understand pleasure. Because we translate what we call peace in terms of our own pleasure. And so without understanding the whole structure of pleasure, we cannot possibly have peace. 
and you must have peace. That is, you must have peace in the sense where, the, where you have immense peace without limitation. Then only there is peace. Peace means space in which there is not the centre which is creating the boundary, in which there is space. And that's very difficult to understand and to go into. Peace is only that. Peace is a state of mind which is which has no boundary to space. The final extract in this episode is from the first talk in San Francisco, 1984, titled Complexity Must Be Approached with Simplicity. Probably it's too boring to inquire into all this. <laughs> Most of us are satisfied with the way we live, accepting, carrying on, till we get old and die. To carry on that way is a wastage of energy. There is no art in that. There is no beauty in that, just to carry on day after day following the same routine, the same misery, same confusion, insecurity and so on. And at the end of it all, which is so meaningless, die. But if you begin to inquire, why the brain must record, it is necessary to record at certain level, physically, how to drive a car, how to be a good carpenter, or some kind of ugly politician. And all that business. But in relationship with each other, why should it why should they be recording at all? Does that recording give us security in our relationship? Is there security in relationship? I believe there are more divorces in this country than marriages. <laughs> I heard the, we heard the other day a girl saying, just about to marry the next day, she said, there is always divorce. <laughs> so this, you understand? Relationship is a very, very serious matter, but that is, the quality of the relationship is destroyed when the brain is recording all the petty little incidents, nagging, pleasure, you know, what goes on between ordinary relationships, each one seeking his own ambition, his own fulfilment, his own pleasure. that utterly destroys relationship. And so, is love matter of thought? Is love desire? Is love pleasure? Is love memory? Please do inquire into all this. 
not only inquire intellectually, but actually inquire in the very inquiry is an action. When you act, and that action demands passion, not just intellectual concept or desire. Love is not lust. Love is not within the orbit of thought. But when the brain merely is recording machinery in our relationship, you destroy everything that is love. You may say it's very easy for you to talk that way, because you are not married. I've, many people have told me this. Which is nonsense. I live with people. The speaker lives with a lot, great many people, both in India, Europe, and America. Great many, constantly. When thought has really been understood, its nature, its structure, its activity, its limitation, understood, which is observed, acted upon. That very observation is its action. Then there is a totally different quality of relationship, because love is outside the brain, not within the confines of thought. So our conditioning. is the movement of thought, like fear. We have lived with fear for centuries, millions of years, thousands of years, and we are still afraid, outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, we want security, physical security. One must have physical security. But that outward security becomes insecurity when one is seeking psychological security. I hope you follow this. We want psychological security first. Psychologically to be safe. We want in our relationship to be completely secure with my permanent wife. <laughs> or if I that permanency doesn't exist with that woman, I'll try and find it with another woman. <laughs> you may laugh at this, but this is what's happening in the world. Probably this is what is happening to you. And perhaps that's why you laugh it off very quickly. So one has to inquire very, very deeply whether there is any security, permanency in life, inwardly, or the search for inward security, which is ultimately God and so on, is that security an illusion? And therefore there is no security, psychologically, but only that supreme intelligence, 
not of books, not of knowledge. That supreme intelligence comes, exists only where there is love and compassion. That intelligence then acts. You may say, all this is so far-fetched, so complicated, but it isn't. Life is living is a very complex process, isn't it? You must know all that much more than the speaker does. It's a very, very complicated process, getting to the office, to the factory, writing, you follow the whole way of living. It's a very, very complex process. And that which is complex must be approached with great simplicity. To be psychologically simple, not stupidly simple, but to see the quality of simplicity. I don't know if you've gone into all this. The word innocence means, etymologically, not to hurt and not to be hurt. But we are hurt from childhood by the parents, by the fellow students, by through university, and so on. We are We are perpetually being hurt, wounded psychologically, aren't you? And that hurt we carry through life, with all its agony. When when one is hurt, there is always the fear of not being hurt. So one builds a wall around oneself, resists, and all the rest of it. But to never to be hurt is simplicity. Now, with that simplicity, to approach the very, very complex problem of life, which is the art of living. And all this requires a great deal of energy, passion, and a great sense of freedom to observe. 